Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Why don't we thank the band and please feel free to take a seat. Thank you so much, guys. Um, I know that it's been mentioned about three times already, but we really are so excited for MTP coming this week coming. And I just wanted to ask you, church, for those of you who call church home, uh, maybe you could help us out a little bit. If you would be so kind to maybe put a reminder in your phone for this Wednesday around 6.30pm. And when it goes off, if you could pray for us. Uh, we are always excited about MTP, but we are really anticipating that a few busloads of kids who really just don't know anything about God, have never encountered Jesus, don't know the gospel are going to be coming through our doors. So we would love if you could, um, yeah. We would love if you could be praying for those particular kids that God would just meet them. He would reveal himself in a big way. Pray for our team, pray for Tana, pray for me. I need help to preach. So um, yeah, please feel free to set a reminder. That would be really, really appreciated. And we are going to jump straight into it this evening. Our main scripture for tonight is from Colossians 3. And uh, we are going to be reading from the NIV. And this is the Apostle Paul. He is talking to the church in Colossae, which is Colossae, I don't know which is facing um, some cultural pressure to kind of dilute their devotion to Jesus uh, because of the culture. So something that we know absolutely nothing about in 2023. Uh, Let's check it out. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 14. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all." Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. How good. Uh, Church, I wonder if you could perhaps draw to mind the last time you got really hyped up about something. Um, Hyped meaning like uh, worked up in a positive way and excited. Have a think. I don't really have a good answer for that. I kind of got a bit hyped on Tuesday night at Connect who were talking about salvation. I often get quite hyped about good pasta, but um, beyond that, it's not not a lot. But I do find that our culture is is quite hypey these days. Uh, Now, there's nothing wrong with hype. Excitement is healthy. 
But sometimes when we encounter hype with no substance behind it, uh, all excitement and not, mu- and not much else, it can be a bit empty and a bit disappointing. Kind of like a highly Instagrammable new gelato shop that looks really beautiful, but then when you get there, the actual ice cream doesn't taste any good. It's empty and disappointing. One thing that kind of seems to be hyped up a lot lately in our culture is what I refer to as the be my own boyfriend phenomenon. Is anyone familiar with this? Probably over here we are. Um, I do apologise, church. This is a reference that is not as intergenerational as I would like it to be, but I tried my best. It's a bit of a young person thing. But currently, um, some young women in the West are kind of celebrating the idea that we don't need a man because we can be our own boyfriend. So... Oh, so it is news to you, okay. <laughs> there, are, there are some songs that are like trending right now that um, I don't endorse and I will not name um, that are kind of talking about like, let me just save myself the stress because I can hold myself close. I can love myself the most. I can buy myself flowers, hold my own hand. I can talk to myself for hours and so on. Yes. Now, I get it. I guess I get that relationships are hard, but um, I would also put forward, I would suggest that uh, we could diagnose this phenomenon as an example of a lot of hype with absolutely no substance behind it whatsoever. Because, you know, you can sing the anthem, you can get pumped with the girls, but then it falls apart pretty quickly when you're at home alone, actually attempting to hold your own hand. (laughs) It's just weird, right? Now... Our response as the like capital C church would be, hey, like meet Jesus, (laughs) meet Jesus. At some point, develop a robust theology of relationships that will teach you that ultimately God is the only one who can truly satisfy satisfy your soul level need for him. And then you've got options, right? You can get married. That is something of God. That is a good and healthy thing that I'm sure is hard sometimes. Or you can be single. There, that is a gift as well. That you know, I'm sure that is hard sometimes, but also has a lot of good in it. There are seasons for both. You know, there's options. It's all good. But hyping up, holding your own hand is just an odd thing to do because it's neither. It's neither here nor there. Um, It's trying to fulfill a need internally that you and I can't fulfill ourselves. It's a whole lot of hype and not a lot of actual hope. And I say that to say that that is kind of where we find ourselves in our culture. This is kind of the world that we live in. There's just a whole lot of hype that's just masking a whole lot of hopelessness. But I have good news for us this evening because no matter how hopeless uh, our world and our culture becomes, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of hope. It doesn't fall apart when you actually take it home and try to live it out. That's when it becomes the most alive and is proven the most real and the most true. Hope over hype. That is what we're talking about tonight. Uh, Come on. So the gospel of Jesus, it is not a gospel of hype. I'm I'm not trying to say hype is bad. It's not bad, it's just not real. And we need real, we need hope. So tonight we're gonna look at why is the Christian life a life of hope and of not hype? And how do we build lives of hope in a very hypey world? Are you ready? 
Great. All right. So we have to start at the beginning. Uh, why do we even need hope? Why do we even need saving? Uh, why do we even need Jesus? And we find the answer to these questions in the book of Genesis. I often paraphrase this part on a Friday night or say, hey, go read it in another time. It's found in the front of the Bible. But today uh, we're going to read it from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, this might be the kids pastor and me coming out, but uh, parents, this, the Jesus Storybook Bible is a really great resource for your kids. It's a really good resource for me. I love it. It helps me to just calm down and stop overcomplicating things. Um, so think of it like we're reading from the message paraphrase or something. Let it be said, I'm not reading a legitimate translation right now, but um, here is the story of the fall from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home creation. And everything was perfect for a while, until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to just be an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate, and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to stop God. He wanted to stop God's plan, stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. Now God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them, because if you do, you will think that you know everything. You'll stop trusting me. And then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew that if they ate the fruit, they would think that they didn't need him and they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew that there was no such thing as happiness without him and life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And a terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him and now everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was supposed to last forever. It's a good paraphrase, hey. And so now this is where we find ourselves. We live in a world where everything dies, even though it was supposed to last forever. We live in separation from God, even though we were created to know him and be known by him. The world is under the rule of Satan. His end goal in Eden wasn't about an apple or a mandarin or, you know, whatever it was. It was about gaining the authority to create the culture of the world. And we gave it to him. 
So he did. And so now here we find ourselves, sin, my sin, the sin that I do, my failure to love God, to love people as he intended, my anger, my mixed motives, my pride, my selfishness. I can trace it all back to the fall. And then the sin that is done to me, the failure of others to love God and people and me as God intended. Maybe the neglectful caregiver or the friend who betrayed or the partner who wounded. We can track it all back to the fall. The brokenness of creation, it all tracks back to the fall. And there's nothing that we can do about it, right? We try, as humans, we try to fix the world. We try to build a good life, build a good society, build a good political system, a good family, you know, whatever we think is going to solve the problem. But any and every system or program that we create to try and offset the mess of the world is riddled with sin anyway because we're the ones making it and it only contributes to the brokenness. So what does God do? Because he's not okay with this. God is love personified. He loves us. He's invested in his own creation. So he sends Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth, God incarnate. He lives a perfect life of obedience, goes to the cross, taking all of our sin upon himself. He's punished for our sin, for your sin, for my sin, for all sin. And then his righteousness is given to us as a gift. So now we can walk around as if we had never, ever sinned. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our failure. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. This is hope come down to us. So let's look at it again quickly from the Jesus Storybook Bible. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. Actually, he could have said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed the little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Father, Jesus cried, Father, where are you? And for the first time and the last time when Jesus spoke, nothing happened. Just horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his son. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. The full force of God's anger at sin was coming down, but on his own son instead of his people, instead of you and me. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, it is finished, and it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Beautiful, beautiful. Praise God, hey. I was crying in my bedroom tonight prepping this from the Jesus Storybook Bible. How good is God? Three days later, we know the rest of the story. We might know the rest of the story. He resurrected and now we are invited to be part of his rule and his reign, his kingdom now and into eternity. We are invited to be part of his restoration of our souls, our minds, our bodies, of the whole earth, of creation. That is our hope. It is day in, day out life. This is our hope. Being grateful to God for saving us and partnering with him in his work inside ourselves and then in the world. And we do this through his church and beyond. It's not always hypey, right? Like sometimes it is hypey. We certainly have a lot of fun around here and hype is definitely a part of that. But sometimes it's just a long obedience in the same direction. 
That's how Eugene Peterson refers to it. We get to bring the reality of God's will into our lives and into the world. And we don't do it by dominating like the Roman Empire once did. We, did it, we do it through love like Jesus showed us. Not necessarily hype, but always hope. So can I encourage you this evening, because of Jesus, there can never, ever, 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 ever be a day when you wake up in the morning and you do not have hope because God is restoring the world and you can be part of that. So I, now that we've established that, why hope and how hope, I just have three thoughts for us this evening on how we can choose the hope that Jesus has for us rather than just flowing with the empty hype of the world. Is that cool? Great, I just need some water. All right, number one, we choose hope over hype by choosing the private over the public. So um, back to our actual scripture for the night, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So what does the big picture restorative work that God is doing in the world have to do with my private life versus my public life? Um, a few years ago, I was generously given a platform to share at somewhere, it wasn't here, and I was asked to answer some specific questions about some specific things. And so I wanted to uh, do what they were asking of me, and so I kind of put together some content about stuff that was going to achieve their goal. I knew what they wanted the people to hear, but in truth, it was things that I was only just starting to learn about and only just starting to live into, and I didn't really have a lot of credibility in it yet. Um, I was actually talking about rest, which has been a journey and continues to be a journey for me. Pastor Jared spoke a fantastic message about this on Sunday, if you missed it. Uh, so anyway, I'm like just sort of starting to get into this stuff and I do the thing. Um, I can tell that it's landing with people. They're like really enjoying it, but I didn't feel great about it uh, because I, it wasn't really coming from the core of who I am. It wasn't an overflow of what God was already doing in me. It was just good stuff that I had really, I was, been, I was ripping it from my favourite preacher. So... I get off the stage, I'm a little bit uneasy, uh, but I soon forget all about my unease because for whatever reason, people just loved it. Not for whatever reason, in hindsight, that just says a lot about the preacher that I was ripping it from, that's all that that says. Um, but uh, honestly, like never in my life have I been hyped up that much, I don't think for anything I've ever done. The praise and the compliments, they were just like a bit excessive, to be honest. And um, I loved it. I loved the feeling that it gave me. I have something to say. I have something to contribute. Oh, no one's thinking about this. I can help. Um, loved it. But by the time I got home that evening, I was utterly terrified and feeling very repentant because it had become clear to me as I was driving, this is the danger of the public. That I would curate a public presence in the world that is not an accurate reflection of who I actually am that I would start to believe that what other people say when they're hyping me up is more true than who I actually am in the quiet before God. And that is a danger that we all face, can I just say. It's not a platform or pulpit thing because we all interact with other people every day and in doing so create a public presence. Our world really celebrates the public. 
If you present properly and say the right thing, it doesn't matter who you are at your core or how you live. It doesn't matter where the reality of your relationship is, you know, on the spectrum of totally dysfunctional to like genuinely healthy and happy, so long as you're presenting it online in a way that is relatable and thus affirmed by others. Your actual emotional health doesn't matter if enough people are affirming whatever state you're currently in. And every day we all face the temptation to lean into that to live in a way that is publicly validated and privately shallow. But it's hype. It's not real. Verse 3 and 4, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. One day I will stand before the Lord and who I really am, not who I appear to be on stage right now or who I appear to be in my day-to-day life will be revealed. And the same goes for you. So heaven forbid that I find out that I could, you know, sometimes string words together nicely, but I didn't have the character to actually sustain what I said. Or heaven forbid that I talk this really big game about loving God and serving people, but then the way I lived my life didn't correlate with that. Or heaven forbid that people's perception of my relationship with God was actually deeper and stronger than my actual relationship with God. In Matthew, Jesus talks about how the power we need for the public will be found in the private. Jesus um, fasted for 40 days in the desert in private and then he had the power to reject Satan's temptation. Jesus wrestled with God and wept in the Garden of Gethsemane in private. Then he faced the the cross in public. John the disciple, he learned to identify himself as the one Jesus loved in private, reclined on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper in private and then was the last disciple standing at the crucifixion in public. And so I had to ask God that evening to help me so that you know, my public life would never become bigger or more important to me than my private life before him. I asked him to please never give me a platform that my interior woman couldn't sustain because who I am before God needs to be more important than who I appear to be. And how I live before God needs to be more important. So how is this gospel? Our hope is in what God is doing in us and through us, not in who the world perceives us to be. So leaning into what everyone thinks, leaning into the public, that is leaning into hype, but leaning into the transformative work that God is doing within us and allowing that to extend through us into the world is leaning into hope. Amen. Now, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live like this, and I, I mess it up every single day, but it's, it's, it's a process, and it's how we lean into hope and participate in redemption on the earth. All right, number two, we choose hope over hype by choosing formation over feelings. We'll continue with our scripture. Colossians 3, 5 to 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Something that I observe in myself and perhaps in young people, but maybe just in people, uh, is a propensity to think that if circumstances were different, then I would be different. 
For example, if Pastor Luke was a better boss, then I would be a better employee, right? For example, that couldn't be further from the truth. I actually, I, I, hope you, I hope you understood that was a joke. That I, gosh, that, that didn't really land the way I thought it would. Can I just say, Pastor Luke is really wonderful and he actually very much has his work cut out for him having to uh, be my boss. So that's, what, that's where that is. Um, I'm not even going to say my other example. Whatever it is, whatever it is for you, right? Um, I would be less angry if, I would be less lustful if, I would be less slanderous if. Now, in, like, of course, there are some situations in life where this is true. There are bosses out there who are harmful. There are people out there who are harmful. Sometimes we have to leave a situation or a relationship because that is a healthy choice and a, and a biblical choice. But big picture, I, I think the library of scripture suggests that at some point, we just have to decide who we are going to be in the midst of our present circumstances. We have to decide, verse five, to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature without caveats about our circumstances. Dallas Willard says, God is yet to bless anybody other than where they actually are. How good is that? We have to find the reality of God in our actual life. That's hope. Not in the life we wish we had. That's hype. How did Abraham become the kind of man that could say, okay, God, take my son. Like we read, it was formed in him over a long time of walking with the Lord. He didn't just wake up one morning with feelings of intense faith and trust. How did David become someone who wouldn't kill Saul when he had the opportunity, even though Saul was making his life hell and trying to murder him? It was formed in him over time. How did Stephen become the kind of person that could be graciously stoned and martyred for the gospel? He didn't just wake up that morning and feel like it or, you know, grit his teeth in the moment and summon up the power. He had been, been becoming that person for a very long time. God had been transforming him for a very long time. Much closer to home, how did Pastor Spence and Pastor Leah become the kind of people who could pick up their family and move across the world and work really hard at pastoring a church? How did Pastor Sue become someone who even in this extended season of difficulty where she could easily sit down is, you know, evangelising to her neighbourhood every week and ministering to people however she can? How did Pastor Jared become someone who in granddad season could be just 24-7 enjoying the little ones that he loves so much and slowing down but in Instead, in his 60s, it's flying around the world to constantly nurture budding churches. They didn't just wake up one day and feel like it. We are being formed into who we are every single day. So who am I becoming? Who are you becoming? We lean into the hope of what God is doing in us and in the world by partnering with Him to put to death our sin and our stuff. What does it look like? It's pretty boring. It's day in, day out, practical things, confessing our sin, repenting, asking the Holy Spirit to empower us, putting something in place to help us, getting up and going again, then coming back and repenting again, laying our life down, choosing humility, putting our preferences aside for somebody else, asking for insight because we don't actually know everything, repenting yet again, a long obedience in the same direction. And lastly, as, as we get ready to wrap up, number three, um, the band can join me whenever you're ready. I don't think you need to rush. Um, we choose hope over hype by choosing nearness over knowledge. 
nearness over knowledge. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity holy and dearly loved. Karl Barth said that scripture is not just about getting it known, but about getting it lived. The goal of scripture is not scripture in and of itself, right? God did not give us the text because He's an avid reader. The Word of God is living and active. Through it, God changes who we actually are. So if I can exegete the scripture, but I can't exegete my own heart, And I can't bring my own lack of holiness, my own pride and selfishness and anger and brokenness to Jesus for healing. I am missing the point. (laughs) I I remember some years ago now, I was kind of just like at the height of confusion, um, looking at my own life and my own behaviour, a little bit dumbfounded at the choices that I was making uh, because I knew better. I knew better and I knew that I knew better. I have loved God my whole life. My parents raised us. You're in church unless you're so sick that you can't do anything else either. I've read through the Bible a fair few times, you know, in my years, but I was just doing dumb things that were hurting me. And uh, in His kindness, through His Word and by His Spirit, God showed me that it was because my nearness did not match my knowledge. Because I could tell you all day long about the love of God for me and the love of God for you, but I was not living in the reality of it as deeply as I could. And I think I genuinely thought that I was, but with every choice to think, act, speak, respond outside of the way God calls me to, was an underlying disbelief that His love was actually enough and that living His way could actually fulfil me. Remember what the serpent said to Eve in the Storybook Bible. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If He does, why won't He let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you, perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Does your nearness match your knowledge? Could it be that your knowledge asserts that God is completely faithful, but the relational choices you make would suggest that to you, He's still something short of completely trustworthy? Could it be that your knowledge asserts that God is your provider, but the way you allocate your money would suggest that to you, He's still something short of radically generous? Could it be that your knowledge asserts that God is completely compassionate, but your fear would suggest that to you, He's still something short of slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As Tyler Staten says, the greatest expression of the Spirit's power is a life so saturated in the love of God that you would actually live today like He loves you that you would walk through fear, trial, triumph, disappointment and pain, assured of His love. Church hype can be like going through the church motions, performing, but it can also look like going through religious and intellectual motions in regard to God. A lot of you know me. You know I am big on knowledge, big on theology, big on learning. It's so important. not trying to diminish that. But I also know that if I ever find myself knowing more than I'm drawing near, then I'm in dangerous territory. 
what our scripture is saying. Before we do anything, it is understanding that we are holy because of Jesus and dearly, dearly loved. That's the basis of everything. Not performing, not doing the moral thing, but experiencing the love of God, being changed into someone who actually has compassion, someone who responsively is kind, someone who genuinely has patience for others, who can love not just out of duty, but out of who we are, like the Scripture cites. That is hope. So how do we choose hope over hype? We choose, to, we choose the private over the public. We choose formation over feelings. And we choose nearness over knowledge. Amen. Amen. Church, why don't you stand with me? We'll sing. And then our Pastor Amber's going to come. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.